The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know it works in giving you a boner. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Besides from me reading this, it's made in the U.S. of A. America. And... Since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. You can visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code ARMCHAIR. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew, B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code ARMCHAIR, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R, to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we'd like to thank them for sponsoring this train wreck of a podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to a special Friday edition of the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. We are excited to have friend of the program back, Mike Triplett, Saints reporter for ESPN. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been a really interesting season for the Saints, obviously. I want to start with this question. You've covered the Saints for a lot of years. You've been through, I think, the whole Sean Payton era. What's the? How's the locker room different from when Drew Brees was the quarterback to now Teddy being the quarterback? How do you see it different? This is the best a backup quarterback's ever done in my 15 years of covering the Saints, I would say. Um, the, uh, the, the candidates obviously, uh, don't exist before that. I, I don't think, um, I, I don't think I noticed a difference in the locker room. What I would say about, I, I would say the locker room is sort of breeding what we're seeing. There's just a confidence about this team. I, I, I would say it's, it's almost the same answer that, um, that I would give for how they got over the Minneapolis miracle and how they're getting over, you know, the Rams game, which everybody wondered if they were going to be able to do. This team just knows it's good. Uh, and, and, you know, is equipped to even handle something like Drew Brees being hurt. Now, obviously they have a lot of confidence in Teddy Bridgewater. And you could just tell from the, the locker room videos last year that, uh, you know, he quickly became beloved in the locker room and, and they just like his personality and everything. But I think what it stems from is, I mean, look at the way the defense is playing. Like, they're like, oh, it's our turn, you know? Cool. We we want it, you know? And, and the offensive line, even though I was really surprised how they kind of stunk up the joint against the Rams and uh, the other game where they had all the penalties was the Cowboys, Cowboys. game. Yeah. Um, they know that they're a great offensive line, and, and they can, you know, win at the line of scrimmage. So I think, it, it you know, and obviously Sean Payton, I – it was funny when we were in Seattle, I asked a couple people about this because I thought it would be the case, but the answers were great about how Sean Payton almost like relished the opportunity. Like, all right, you know, challenge on, you know, I'm going to game plan my way out of this. And 
and we know how confident he is. So I, I think in general we're seeing a team that just knows it's really good from top to bottom and, and good enough to even absorb something like this. Mike, we, we talked about uh, Bridgewater and, you know, obviously the, the fan sentiment, at least on Twitter. And so, you know, I live in Virginia and Ralph is in Texas. And so we don't have necessarily our fingers on the pulse as much of the fan temperament in New Orleans. And so we gauge a lot of how fans feel based on Twitter, which, which as you know, can be a That's bad. That's a and, bad choice. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> um, but then, so so my impression was that a lot of fans, even though the Saints were 2-0, and were kind of down on Teddy, calling him a game manager, that, hey, that's great that we won two games, but he can't be the guy of the future. So we need to make sure that we invest in something in the future. So there, there's a lot of quarterback of the future talk. But then I watched the game against the Bucks. I watched the Saints win. I, and Teddy lights it up statistically this time. And you hear the whole Superdome, 70,000 fans chanting his name. Being in New Orleans, being a reporter in New Orleans, do you sense that there's a a divide between how fans feel about Teddy Bridgewater? Or do you feel like it's actually, no, it's completely different and he's won everyone over? It's a great point you make because I noticed the exact same thing. And it was probably the most enlightening moment yet. We all know this, but the most enlightening moment yet that sometimes it's just 20 disgruntled people on Twitter screaming the loudest Um, because, you know, I was surprised, too. And Teddy's Teddy's my ultimate witness test. Like someday I want to, like, do forensic analysis of, like, how many of the same people who, you know, claim they were going to win the Super Bowl the day they made the trade for Teddy Bridgewater are the same people, you know, who are screaming for Taysom Hill to be the backup quarterback this year. Like, you know, if they're just hot take people that, that jump sides of the fence or if it's just different people that come out of the woodworks every time. But I completely agree with you that based on social media and the responses I got, I was surprised how negative all of the Teddy Bridgewater comments were. Um, extremely negative, not just the volume, like, you know, nine out of 10 comments were negative, but they were like, you know, hated Teddy Bridgewater. And, and it took me by surprise. And then to see the Superdome tuning for him the way they did, what was such a, an example of, Oh, I, <laughs> I guess that's not the, the sentiment. And some of it might be because they knew he was getting beat up on social media and they wanted to support him. But uh, I had the exact same observation as you. And, and, uh, and I, I thought it was refreshing and I was glad to see that, uh, uh, people were getting behind him because why shouldn't they be? I mean, it's the first time Breeze has been hurt in 15 years. And I think this entire city has thought for 15 years that the team would be completely sunk without Drew Breeze. And, 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 you know, the timing was perfect to have this guy that can handle this, uh, you know, and, and to appreciate it, even when he wasn't putting up big numbers and he was just managing his way through those first couple of games is pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, football, it can reflect a lot of things in life, right? If we like you as a person, we, we will not that Teddy has any fault or anything because they're winning. Right. But if we like you, we, we just embrace you more. Whereas Aaron Brooks, he kind of had this off putting personality and he, he, sort of galvanize the fans and different things but because the fans just you can't help but like Teddy I think they want yeah. they want him to do well and I think Twitter is just a weird place and it's you know it's always a bad, it's always <laughs> a bad idea to spend too much time there another thing that I really wanted to ask you Mike is and me and me and Andrew had talked about it on the patron only podcast earlier this week Demario Davis 
he's been an outstanding signing, but he has gone from he hasn't even been here to a year and a half, and it's his defense. It looks like to me. How did how did he just sort of grab the leadership role of the defense so quickly? I mean, maybe the whole team, right? Well, yeah. I mean, watching him do those pregame chants. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he got na- nominated a captain right away, and I can't remember if he was a. I think he was a captain. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. And in his last year in New York as well. And, you know, we quickly realized in the first OTAs covering him that he's just a, a dynamic personality. And obviously you see a lot of that in, in um, you know, he's a leader in the players coalition and really outspoken in that area. He's just one of those type a plus personalities that, uh, that you're right. He's made as much of an impact. Well, I'm not gonna say as much of an impact because you guys have been following this team for a long time. They've needed a linebacker with, with like his playmaking ability and athleticism for, for a long, long time. Um, you know, it, it was kind of a, a great, you know, um, you know, just one thing they could never, land especially you know Vilma was great but on that like weak side of the linebacker so I'd say what he's doing on the football field has probably made the biggest impact but it's pretty close and and I think you're completely right that uh um you know I, I thought that was pretty awesome to see too that he was the one leading the chant and, and the way guys gravitated around him and the, you know the way him and Drew Brees did it together I, I think that sort of cements him as you know uh in that role and and brought it more to the public eye maybe than it even was before yeah mike uh well it's funny we always talk about how the last linebacker the saints drafted that was any good was mark fields um and that, <laughs> that, that's still true so the saints have to do well in free agency uh with their linebackers because it's been i mean that was like what 95 or, or something so um but I want to ask you, well, we'll see how the shoulder goes. Yeah, I mean, it's, he was he's off to a decent start. So, Mike, one thing I want to ask you about with this offense, it's kind of it's kind of a two-pronged question, if you'll bear with me. But I guess, first of all, I look at Mark Ingram. He's gone. He's replaced by Latavius Murray. 
And Latavius Murray has had a really small role in this offense. Um, and, you know, part of me wonders if, like, hey, the timing was actually pretty good because we want to see more of Kamara. He's such a dynamic player. Uh, he's such a difference maker on the field uh, that you don't want someone in the backfield that the Saints feel like they have to give him snaps and they have to keep Ingram happy. Um, because of his tenure, because he's a good player and all that stuff. And whereas like with Murray, maybe there's less pressure for Sean Payton to have him on the field. Um, but at the same time, uh, Murray's a the guy they invested in. So I'm surprised that he's not playing a lot. And this offense feels a little stale to me, like last year where it's really, and I, <laughs> I always call this binge throwing, but it's the quarterback binge throwing at Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. So I guess a two, two-part question here. Are you surprised that Latavius Murray isn't playing more? And then the second part of this question is, can this offense continue to have success if it's really this one-dimensional of we've got two playmakers and we feed them the ball over and over again? Right. Well, it's concerning. There's no doubt about it. Um, it was the biggest problem on the team, I think, last December and January. Um, now, it was worse in a game against the Cowboys where they actually had the athletic linebackers who could, I mean, it's one thing to say, all we have to do is stop Michael Thomas and Alan Kamara. It's a wholly another thing to do it as we're seeing this year. Until a team stops them, they're going to keep feeding those two guys as they should. Um, But the concern obviously is what if a team has the right game plan or the right athletes and they do take Kamara and Thomas out of the game, what else do the Saints have? So I would say it's still a little bit of a small sample size. I mean, the same reason why we had to hold off judgment on Teddy Bridgewater through those first two games at Seattle and versus Dallas, where they were just going to try to scratch and claw their way to a 12-10 victory. Um, You know, they weren't opening up the playbook in those games. And in this last game where they knew they were going to score a lot of points and get a lot of yards against Tampa Bay, we saw a lot more involvement from Jared Cook and Latavius Murray. We still didn't see quite the results from Latavius Murray in that game, but we saw, okay, this is what a game might look like if the Saints get, you know, 70 snaps, if they're playing with a lead throughout a second half, there is a lot of Murray, um, what did he have, something, uh, did he have nine touches in the game or something? Um, and, and uh, you know, there are going to be days where Kamara's a little banged up and they can feed him more. So he's at least reliable and trustworthy, but no, he doesn't. he doesn't look like, the one B weapon that, that Ingram was anywhere close to it. Um, and so you do need that. You need that from Jared Cook or Ted Ginn Jr. or Latavius Murray, where you're at least giving defense something to worry about uh, because there is going to come a point where you can't just beat Thomas and Kamara. And God forbid there's ever a game where one of those two guys is not playing because they are completely reliant on those guys. I do completely agree. You know, well, it brings up an interesting point. You know, I remember last year, and it was on defense, but, you know, they were struggling at corner, right? And sort of the Baltimore game was a tipping point where they struggled so badly. Baltimore went down, scored at the end of the game. He missed the extra point, and they won. But it felt that game felt like a tipping point, Mike, where the Saints sort of went and looked at their corners and were like, it ain't happening. We got to do something. And the Patrick Peterson yeah. rumors came out. That got shut yep. down really quickly. And they moved on and they got Eli Apple. Do you feel like the next couple weeks we've got to see progress in a third guy? And 
do you think there'll come a tipping point and the Saints will say, we got we to gotta add a third guy? Uh, do you think that will happen? Yeah, I think if it did, it would happen at wide receiver. Um, you, you, we started this line of questioning by asking about Latavius Murray. I, I still think they're okay with him as a number two running back. I mean, remember, who's Christian McCaffrey's number two running back? I, 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 <laughs> like Sadness, I, I that's their number that two running back. I've never heard of him before. Um, um, and, and so we're used to seeing Mark Ingram, and I think that spoils a lot of people. Not a lot, not a lot of teams have that. And I think Murray is, you know, he could fill in for a week. Um, I think he will get better. They do trust him in those situations. His experience. I think he's an okay number two running back. I think Jared Cook. You know, I, I expected more from him, but I think the jury's still out on him. I think he can still be an effective tight end that defenses have to worry about. But the receiver position is 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 really unsettling. And you know, they're going to continue to use Ted Ginn Jr., who I still think is kind of underrated. But you know, Traquan Smith is battling injuries. Keith Kirkwood's on IR. I mean, it's it's nothing beyond uh, Michael Thomas and Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, and we're talking about a team that looks like it could win a Super Bowl this year. And if it's somehow, I, I don't know, you know, I'm just saying the guys who are available, nothing I've heard that the Saints are looking into. But like, if if they added an A.J. Green, or, you know, I mean, whatever it was, like, you know, when Golden Tate was available last year, it would instantly make this team feel so much better, so much more complete uh, and so much different that I think they're a team that's not afraid to make those moves when they realize that one player can make a huge difference. And and I think wide receiver is a position where they're going to have to consider it. Mike, I wanted to ask you about Deontay Harris. Um, You know, obviously he's been struggling a little bit, um, but his, um, his skill set is unique and obviously Sean Payton feels that way. He's, he's come out and he's said that publicly. And we had a podcast just this week, Ralph and I, where we discussed kind of the parallels with Will Lutz. And you should remember where with, with the kicking game, Sean Payton's always had a quick trigger with, with these guys where whether it was Zach Cocker or Dustin Hopkins or a lot of these young kickers where the minute they started struggling, you're out the door. Um, because he, he wants somebody in there that can get the job done uh, at kicker. And he's, he's, t- he's over the course of history, he's had very short patience with those guys. Uh, and it was different with Will Lutz. He had the whole low tra- trajectory thing. He had a lot of kicks blocked. He actually cost the Saints, I think, gosh, it was three or four games. There were, I remember the Giants game, there was a block, uh, the, the Panthers and, and, and the Broncos. So there, there were a number of games where Will Lutz actually cost the team and Peyton continued to kind of stomach that because he knew what kind of talent he had. And eventually, obviously, Will Lutz became who he is that for at least for a moment there, he was the highest paid kicker in the, in the league in history. Um, and I see parallels with Deontay Harris in the sense that Peyton's always kind of had maybe a, a shorter patience with returners if they exhibit fumbling problems. We saw that with Marcus Murphy, where he was explosive. He had a touchdown on a punt return against the Panthers several years ago, but then the fumbling problems came and he was quickly out the door. Um, I feel like he's maybe exhibiting more patience with Harris and maybe he has a little bit more rope where if these fumbling problems continue, as long as he kind of rips a huge return here or there, Sean Payton will tolerate it. Do you think that's fair because his talent is so unique? Yeah, I agree. It's funny, right when you started asking the question, I was going to make a Will Lutz comparison before you brought that up. Um, and Peyton's answer about Deontay Harris earlier this week, it, you know, 
would totally reminded me of Will Lutz where he's like, the talent's just too good. It's our job to work with him and it's our job to fix it because we know what we have in this guy. I completely agree. And, and Sean Payton and special teams is, is, you know, such a hilarious history. But when he found his Thomas Morstead and when he found his Will Lutz, he knows the value in finding the guy that you can stick with and that you can trust. And they're going to try to do that with Deontay Harris. The only difference I would say is when Will Lutz was struggling earlier, early in his rookie year, I remember a couple of those kicks and Peyton kept pointing out that he did not pin, I think he only like pinned one of the mistakes on Lutz. He was blaming the blocking up front for a couple of the blocks. He blamed, I think, the snap hold on a couple of them. And he was pointing out that we looked at the film and, you know, we, we don't think it's on Lutz. You know, you can't just blame the kicker. In these situations, you do have to blame the punt returner. And and uh, he he's going to test Sean Payton's patience if he does it one or two more times um, <laughs> because the mistakes are on him. So I agree that he's going to have more patience with Deontay Harris than we've ever seen him have with a returner. But I don't know what the limit is. Is it two more? Is it three more? Is it one more? We'll find out. Well, it, it, it matters less if you do it in a win, though, right, Mike? I mean, I think Sean Payton, if it's costing you gains – that's different than if you're four and one with Teddy Bridgewater, you're finding ways to win these games despite the fumbles. I think that probably plays into it a little bit, right? Well, it's not supposed to, and coaches always say it doesn't, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure a little bit it does when, you know, and it, it also helps when you return, <laughs> when you return a kick for a touchdown in the same one where you fumble a kick and you, you don't let them stew over your, uh, your completely bad game for a whole week. <laughs> Mike, do you think the Saints winning will make them more likely to be even more uh, cautious with Breeze? I know Charles Robinson of Yahoo said, hey, Breeze is pushing rehab. He wants to be back week week eight, week before the bye, that sort of thing. Do you think if the Saints keep winning, this even if Drew Breeze, as maniacal and crazy as he is to get back – as the Saints keep winning, they're going to be more patient and ju- judicious with, with, with Drew uh, on his return? Or does Drew sort of have the final say? And he sa- if he says he's ready in two weeks, he's going. Yeah, I'm somewhere in between on that. It's funny. I was just telling someone the other day. First of all, I think this is so fascinating that that the, the, the game that we're, we're wondering about is at home against the Arizona Cardinals. And, you know, their defense obviously is one of the worst defenses in the league. And you just know Drew is like, <laughs> playing that Cardinals game. And, you know, Teddy is like, please let me have that Cardinals game as my final, like, free agency audition tape. Uh, I could just see them both thinking, please let me have this game. Um, but, uh, you know, and some people, you know, like I think a casual fan thing would be like, oh, well, the Saints are going to win that Arizona game, so they might as well save Drew. NFL teams do not think that way. They never think, we're going to win this Arizona game anyway, so we don't need Breeze for it. Um, they know they have. That's, like, that's a must-win game. You cannot lose the home game against the Arizona Cardinals. So if Drew's ready, you put him in there. Um, but you know, even if they're whatever, seven and one, they got to get to eight and one before they start, you know, playing the Panthers and the, and the Falcons down the stretch. But uh, I do think, so it's not necessarily what the record is, but their faith in Teddy Bridgewater. If, if, you know, if Teddy Bridgewater was stinking up the joint and they were like onto their second or third backup quarterback and they were just desperate for a solution, 
they might rush Drew back. The fact that they trust the quarterback who's in there, um, I, they can wait till I think Drew Brees is 99% or 100% instead of debating this if he's only 85%. Mike, is this, does this defensive line have the chance to be the best in Saints history? Well, that's funny. I thought it was the biggest concern about this team heading into this year because I thought they were fantastic last year, but I thought, you know, Rankins and the Achilles injury was going to make him, you know, miss close to half the season and then, you know, maybe not be 100% when he came back. And I thought losing Alex Okafor with with no replacement was going to be a bigger problem, you know, and counting on Marcus Davenport to do it all by himself with, with without, you know, real proven backup. I thought that defensive line might take a step back, but boy, they sure do. Uh, they sure do look good. Malcolm Brown's been a great addition. I, I think David Onyemata, as I wrote about, um, as I wrote about this week when I was writing about you know this this streak of run defense and hundred yard rushers, I think you know he he's very quietly been a huge piece of the success these last two years too at defensive tackle. So it, it's continued to be a real strength, which uh, which even you know, surpassed my expectations for them this year after the losses they took this offseason. Mike, uh, my final question is, and you just brought him up, uh, David Onyemata, is he, has he moved into, because he's a free agent next March, and teams are desperate for defensive linemen, has he moved into the must-keep tier for the Saints He's pretty close. Um, I'm going to put him and Von Bell in the same category, which is, first of all, I, I think the Saints can keep anybody they want to keep. Um, I, I don't worry too much about the salary cap because they just, you know, they know that the salary <laughs> cap is kind of fake, you know, and, and you can just keep pushing it back. Um, they will let a player go if they just don't think his, you know, they put a price on a player and they don't overpay for him. And we saw that with Mark Ingram, obviously. I think we're going to probably see that with Andrews Pete uh, this off season. But if David Onyemata and Von Bell could be kept at, at you know reasonable prices and and it doesn't get inflated because of the open market, those are two guys that that I wasn't quite as sure about. But over the last year and a half, uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking more they'd be really hard to replace. Yeah, I, I agree with that actually. Um, and but I. So I guess I'd put put it to you this way: If you have to choose between Von Bell and Onyemata, which one? You can only keep one. If I can only keep one, I, I mean, I would probably. Are you saying they come at the exact same price? I think Von Bell would cost a little more than David Onyemata, but keeping one at whatever the market price is, I'd probably Correct. keep Onyemata because I think, I think you know, with Chauncey Gardner Johnson waiting in the wings, they have at least you know a plan B at safety that they probably feel pretty good about. Um, and I feel like Von Bell might cost a little bit more, uh, especially if he ever gets his first career interception, which is the most amazing stat on the Saints team that he doesn't have one yet. So, uh, guys, this in, this interview with Mike Triplett, he's amazing. You can find him on ESPN.com. Uh, this is this podcast is free because of my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag, use the code chair and get a hundred percent sign up bonus right now. Mybookie.ag, use the code chair, get a hundred percent sign up bonus. They have the best, safest online app for gambling. Mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Terms and conditions apply. Mike, thanks guy for joining us. It's been tremendous. The fans I think the fans are gonna love this insight and uh 
I think the Saints, you know, nothing's changed with their goals. And I think we'll probably be talking to you down the line, hopefully in January, uh, because the, even with all the stuff that's happened, they still look like the, a team to beat in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you never wanted this to happen, but it's pretty amazing that I think I, I think winning these three games without Drew Brees and whatever they continue to do while he's gone is one of those things that when you look back, if we are talking in January, the players in the locker room will probably be talking about how it inspired them and, uh, and added to their confidence. It's, it's one of those moments of adversity that actually uh, sometimes, uh, you know, Shuffman always talks about trying to create a crisis on purpose. Sometimes you got one this year. Mike, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, guys.